You're listening to Time Out with Jen and Lisa, a podcast where we talk about what matters most, sports. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of Time Out with Jen and Lisa. We have a full plate yet again today. We skipped last week. I'm not really sure why. But it was we, the 4th of July it week. It was the 4th of July week. I guess we were partying hardy to celebrate America's independence. Yeah. So, so we skipped that last week, but we've got a, a brand new episode for you this week. We have a lot to talk about, including um, the July 4th tradition of a hot dog eating contest. Uh, we've got some Olympics. Uh, Stanley Cup champions have been crowned. Major League Baseball, uh, Wimbledon. We want to talk about Wimbledon a little bit. And Lisa has a whole list of why the Yankees suck. <laughs> No, it is more of what's wrong with the Yankees. Which translates to why the Yankees suck. All right. I'm your host, Jennifer Fink. With me is the fantabulous Lisa Porcello. Yep. Who has a great shirt on today that says, I donut give a damn. And it's a picture of a donut. My favorite food. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. It's good as your T-Rex shirts that I enjoy as well. I do enjoy uh, a novelty T-shirt. I do enjoy that. Yes, yes. So let's talk about this hot dog eating contest. You know, eating contests date back to 1878. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yes. The first eating contest was in Toronto. Those Canadians. Those Canadians. (laughs) It was a pie eating contest. It was just like a fluke idea. I have no idea what it was for. Um, There's no record of the number, but it was the number of pies eaten. Is what what the total, you know, whoever ate the most pies. It didn't even say what kind of pie. Like, I don't know if it was apple or blueberry or rhubarb. Well, let's hope it was something easy, like apple or blueberry. Like, could you imagine, like, pecan pie? Yeah, that would would be hard. That would be hard. That would be hard. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, from there, there were were so many... so many people saw the success of that pie eating contest and that it raised money for this charity that from 1878 on, it was pretty much a done deal. Well, you'd see it at a lot of like county fairs, exactly. state fairs, um, between you know, that pie eating. and grabbing the greased pig. Those were the two big contests that, that you would see. But it was you're, all pretty you're much You're obsessed pie with the greased pig idea. Well, I love that they used to have it at our little Lebanon 4th of July party. Catch the greased pig. Would you have entered that contest? Probably not. but i think it would have been fun like i'm surprised that the hundred county agricultural fair doesn't well because people probably think it's animal cruelty probably well you know what my suggestion was i don't remember greased toddler oh greased toddler that would be (laughs) that might be harder than a greased amp up the toddler on like sugar oh yeah here's your here's your your pixie sticks and here's a can of jolt cola (laughs) go (laughs) so anyway from there, uh, um, those pie eating contests hit the uh, county fairs. Um, the first hot dog contest was supposedly in well, 1916. But then they admitted to sort of making up that lore. As so, a marketing stunt. Yeah, as a marketing stunt. Brilliant, I have to say. It is brilliant. I mean, who knows? I am sure that people on bar- you know, during their barbecues, like you'd have a- one brother say to another brother, hey, let's see you can you ho- how many hot dogs. Yeah, I am sure people did that on their own at home yeah oh I'm i mean we didn't but <laughs> oh i'm certain they did they, I'm i mean did you did. and your brother have like a big mac eating we contest would always have eating contests so my brother's nine years older than i am and he always got stuck driving me around like to sporting events and stuff like that 
or I don't know, doing or he wanted to get out. Take your sister. So <laughs> I would have to go with him. And so we would have like Big Mac and McNugget and milkshake contests at McDonald's because that was, you know, dad would give us like 10 bucks and we'd be like, oh, let's go. Because <laughs> I, you know, so he was like 17. I was eight. So it was like the best thing ever. Well, yeah. And I also weighed like five pounds. I was like a little skinny toy. And Not anymore. How many hot dogs did you eat in one sitting? Eight. You ate eight My hot cousin, dogs. my first baseball game <laughs> was Yankees-Red Sox in 1985. And <clears throat> my cousin, who I know is listens to this podcast. Hey, Gus. Hi, Gus. Um, we went with my cousin and my uncle. And my dad... <laughs> My dad, you know, took money, but I just love the fact that you didn't have to leave your seat to get hot dogs, and they were the, you know, the water dogs of New York, and they were so good. Like, I just, like, ate, I had eight of them. Eight of them. You were 10. Game. I was, I was nine. Nine. Nine or 10. And I remember that my dad was like, okay, that's it. Like, you need to stop eating hot dogs. <laughs> like, because we were going to go out to dinner after the game. My dad's like, I wasn't even sure I would, had enough money after you, like, ate, ate all these hot dogs. Like... So I wanted, and I also wanted the big blow up bat. My dad was like, no. So I ended up getting wrist sweatbands. Which I think I, you still have. I still have, yeah. but I'm not quite sure where they are, but I will find them. <laughs> and I still have them to this day because yeah. that was, that was what I got at my first baseball game. That was a lot of fun. J- Jim Rice. I remember seeing Jim Rice play and I don't remember who else, but <clears throat> yeah, You remember good. the hot dogs though. I certainly remember those eight hot dogs, which is why I think eating contests are so popular and it does it's not just hot dogs but it's you know everything oh yeah so joey chestnut who just won another nathan's famous hot dog eating championship he is the goat oh so yeah. if you look at he has won thir- um i'm sorry he's won 14 nathan's hot dog championships oh, wait, who, who's the next closest um i don't remember it was probably that japanese guy that he kind of took over like all the winning contests from Kora Kabashi. Yes. Kabashi. I bet you it's gotta be him. The second most successful. Yep. He's won six consecutive titles from 2001 to 2006. So to put it in perspective, Joey Chestnut has 16 championship titles in hot dog eating. (laughs) If you look at individuals with the most championship titles in an event, we have, uh, Rafael Nadal has 14 French open. I'm sorry. 13 French Open championships. Wow. Okay. So Joey uh, Chestnut has more wins than Rafael Nadal. Yeah. At Margaret the Court Open. has 11 Australian Opens. Bill Russell has 11 NBA titles. And Henri Rich- Richard has 11 NHL Stanley Cups. Wow. Joey Chestnut has He's 14. He's the greatest of all time. He is the GOAT. He is. I mean, it, I, find it, I find it, you know, pretty fascinating that I, I think really the official official start of the hot dog eating contest was at nathan's coney island and it was like in 1972 like right in that yeah. range and it was all like you know memorial day contest you know midsummer contest labor close of summer labor day contest um and then people saw the popularity of these eating contests and that was just hot dogs so then people would do tacos and hamburgers well, and steaks and oysters and Joey Chestnut holds 70 world records in food eating food I'll talk about those after you're done but yeah okay. he has 70 world records so in 1997 major league eating 
became an organization. When we watched that uh, ESPN special, was it ESPN about um, competitive eating? No, it was the um, the strangest. Oh, the Netflix show on the yes. strange competitions. Strange it was competitions, and one of them is competitive eating. There's also cheese rolling in England, which I found fascinating. Um, also, ballroom dancing with your with dog. their dog. Yep, yep. Um, we didn't worth finish. It. Yeah, worth it. Totally worth it. So definitely check that one out. So yeah, it was. It, it's you know, the organization. They're an organization that puts together these eating contests, and they pretty much they do them all over the world. There's like 80 of them a year, give or take. And you make good money because they all now have sponsors. They wear shirts that have, you know, like jerseys that have sponsors and their name on them. So, and Joey Chestnut, I went on his website (laughs) and (laughs) he sells his own sauces for wings. And I think he sells a mustard for hot dogs. So, yeah. (laughs) And it's men and women. It's not just men. Uh, Michelle Lesko of Tucson, Arizona, won her first title in the Pepto-Bismol pink belt, eating 30.75 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Do you know what the record is for I do. by women? Reigning champion Mickey Sudo sat out this year because she is pregnant, and I believe it's like 46, 48? 48 and a half. 48 and a half. But here's the thing. If you're pregnant, you got double the eaters in there. Yeah, but there's no room. Think oh, about it. True. There's a Good baby. Point. You Good can't point. stretch your stomach out because there's a baby there. Good point. You so, have double the eaters. Though. I do like that it's called the Pepto-Bismol Pink Belt. That is that is <laughs> it's wildly appropriate. I mean, if I if I owned a company, I would totally want to sponsor the, I the hot dog awesome. eating contest. I think I think next year we need to put get our name on those jerseys. I like it. Time out with Jen and Lisa. I like it. So <laughs> Joey Chestnut, we said he ate 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. It's one more than he ate last year. And last year, it was kind of sad because of, unfortunately, of COVID. They did it in a, like, a closed uh, baseball stadium. No fans. So this year, we had the return of the fans. It was in its traditional spot at Coney Island. So it was a great atmosphere. Um, and, I mean, it just, you know, yes, he's a competitive eater, but he's still a goat. And to see a goat is pretty cool. Now, I had a... I had to ask you, do you remember several years ago, we went to a Mets game? I don't even remember what color socks I put on. On July 4th, we went to a Mets game. And okay. they were doing a hot dog eating contest there. But I don't remember if it was Nathan's. I don't remember if it was the. It was, I don't think it was Nathan's. It now, we the. did go to a basketball game and they had a, I think it was chicken nugget. Oh, eating it was. Contest. It was the chicken nugget eating contest. And it was women, though. It was, and I it, think it we saw game? the Miko, Mickey, Miko. Mickey Sudo. Yeah, I think we did, too. So, yeah. I am just I fascinated uh, by competitive eating because you think that it's something, a, a sport that anybody can do. But not really. I mean, they actually train for these events. They drink, like, gallons of water at once to, like, stretch out their stomachs. I saw uh, Joey Chestnut does like he hangs like weights from his jaw to like exercise his jaw. I mean, and there's a whole methodology to how you eat the hot dog. You soak the bun in water. You eat the the actual hot dog. Then you eat the bun. Like there's a whole method to the madness. It's it's just amazing to me. Yeah, I find it fascinating. They eat a ton of veggies and salads too. Yeah. Now none of that like they they discovered that. Because nobody could figure out why when the Japanese started winning, how they were winning because they were small. Now, the ones that entered for America were these big, big guys. 
and they couldn't figure out why were the Japanese winning. And it has to, it doesn't have to do with weight. Actually being overweight hinders you because all that weight is pushing on your like stomach or your muscles. You can't expand as much as say somebody who's skinnier. So then we got Joey Chestnut who's fairly slender and who trains. (laughs) And now he's the goat when it comes to competitive eating. So I have a few of his world eating records. Oh, let's go. I can't wait to hear these. So he has 70. (laughs) So he holds the world eating record for asparagus. Okay. He ate 12 pounds, 8.75 ounces of deep fried asparagus spears at the Stockton Asparagus Festival in 10 minutes. He did that in 2014. Wow. Um, Brain tacos. He ate 54 brain tacos at the zombie pub crawl crawl in eight minutes. Wow. Uh, here's one that I think I could compete in, glazed donuts. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, um, yeah. However, he ate 55 glazed donuts for Salvation Army National Donut Day in eight minutes. That's a lot. <laughs> I don't think I could eat 55 glazed donuts. That's a lot. Uh, I you, have you'd a, have to get a really nice rhythm. I have a couple I think you could do. Oh, goody. Funnel cake. I can kill a funnel cake. He ate 5.9 pounds in 10 minutes. That's a lot of King's funnel cake. King's Dominion. And how many minutes? Uh, 10 minutes. All right. So at the Hunterdon County Fair, you're going to try to eat 5.9 <laughs> pounds of funnel cake. Do I, we have to bring the scale. I wonder how many funnel cake that is. Funnel cake are basically like air. There's not much, much to them. That's so, what I mean. It's probably a lot. All right. Here's another one. I, I th- might be up for the challenge on that one. So here's another one I think you could do. Uh, pork roll sandwiches. Oh, I could totally kill that one too. He ate 43 four ounce pork roll sandwiches at a Trenton Thunder game in 10 minutes. Okay. So 43 four okay. ounce pork roll sandwiches. I might be close. You could eat 43 pork roll sandwiches. Yeah. In 10 minutes. Sure. Okay. It's worth a shot. Uh, oh, here's something that you enjoy. Poutine. Oh, I do like poutine. He ate 25.5 mm. pounds of poutine in 10 minutes. That's a lot of poutine. It's the gravy. And gravy uh, last but not so least, filling. here's one that now I thought that time that you ate like eight Taco Bell tacos was a lot. He ate 53 soft beef tacos from Taco Bell in 10 minutes. I do like my tacos. I don't think you could eat 53. No, that's a lot. Although if I had a partner, aka my dog... We could totally smash that. Nope. And I have a partner. Last but not least, he ate 121 twink- Twinkies in six minutes. I couldn't do that. That's too sweet. I love Twinkies. Yeah, I, I can't. You know, I can't remember the last time I had a Twinkie. Yeah, they are good. I like the Chocodiles, which are the chocolate covered Twinkies. They're pretty good too. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah, they are good. Well, so that's fascinating. But he, so kind of a fun fact about Joey Chestnut. As I said, I, I was enjoying his website. Uh. So he was a former construction manager and he really made a he made a big career out of this uh, competitive eating and he basically will eat anything. There's only one thing he won't eat. He doesn't like kale. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, who really does like kale? Yeah, I'm not even sure the people that say they like kale like kale. Now we eat kale because everybody tells us it's healthy for us, but it's gross. Yeah, it really is. I'm not a fan. There's no point to it. So, and everybody, you know, you go out and you see like kale salad. Who mm-hmm. wants to go out to dinner and get a kale salad? Mm. 
No thanks. I'll yeah. pass. So yeah, so there you have it. Those are some of his records that he holds. That's fascinating. Yeah. I didn't realize he did a pork roll sandwich. Yeah, actually, now that you say that, I kind of remember seeing that advertised. Oh. And, oh, and he did 165 pierogies in eight minutes at another one. Wow. That's a, that's <laughs> a lot, too. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. So, so there you have it. Well, if you were going to do a competitive eating contest, what food would you pick? Tacos. You, Taco Bell tacos. I would do tacos. How about you? Donuts. Glazed donuts. Glazed donuts. I think I would do tacos because they're not like too salty. Like pork roll can be too salty and you have the whole bun thing. Like You'd have to go with a soft shell. Yes. I know you like hard shell. Do you know that they actually have penalties? Yellow penalty cards can be issued for messy eating. And red penalty cards can be issued for reversal of fortune. (laughs) We all know what that probably means. (laughs) I love that there's like... There's penalties. I had no idea. Oh, no. There, I mean, it's it's a, a league, professional league. I know. Oh, I know it is. Yeah. What gets me, too, is when you see they have the hot pepper eating contest. Yeah, no, thank where you. Where they go up and up in terms of heat. And these people, are, I mean, they're bright red. Their eyes are water. Like, I don't know how they do it. I can't even eat, like, jalapenos. So, but they're eating, like, those crazy ghost pepper things yeah i don't know yeah so yeah so 10 i think 10 minutes is a sweet spot as well like i guess they've tried other times like uh 12 minutes five minutes and 10 seems to like get the crowd really into it and do you want to watch somebody eat hot dogs for like 20 minutes no 10 minutes is 10 is great about i think 10 is good provides a challenge it's like you know they, want, they talked about changing the, the length from home plate to first base, you know, the base pass. They talked about doing mm-hmm. that. And everybody's like, no, it's 90 feet. It's perfect. Yeah, well, You've yeah. got these perfectly close plays and you have guys that, you know, are thrown out by a mile or guys that can run it out. Like, it's just perfectly done. So, yes, I like the 10 minutes. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, Joey Chestnut is the greatest of all time has the most championships in any professional sport. In any single event. In any single event. Yeah. Just above... Rafael Nadal. How about that? Yeah. Fascinating. Yep. So do you have anything else on uh, competitive eating? That's all I got on competitive eating. dogs competitive eating? If they did. Morris would like. Smokey would have won. Smokey would have won. They do have things for dogs. Now they do have what will your dog eat? And it's like a box of like, you know, a banana peel, you know, a a grape, (laughs) like, like things like that. And like. There's no doubt that my my previous dog, Smokey, when she was a puppy, she would have won that, like, hands down. Anybody that knows Smokey knows that that dog, that dog would just eat anything. Anything. <laughs> like, it, like, cement. She ate matchsticks once just because they were there. Like, she ate tissues, pillows. I mean, she, it was tough. It was, it, it she was She pulled down your Christmas puppy. tree. She did. She ate stuff. Yeah. She ate like candy bar that you had in your stocking. Oh, she ate a lot. Yeah, she ate a lot of stuff. She ate a lot of stuff. But yeah, I, I feel like Smokey would have won that. But Our I, two I don't now, forget it. No, they're they're really so picky. picky. Like That's if it's not like organic free range chicken, they're not eating it. I know it's our fault. It's our fault. Our fault? It's our fault. It's your fault. So <laughs> it's our fault. So competitive eating. What do we have next? We, we're going to go from competitive eating. Yes. 
to the premier athletic event in the world, the Olympics. Okay. Now, don't you think they should add competitive eating as an event in the Olympics? Yes. Right? They're always looking for new events to add. And, like, I think competitive eating would be a lot more fun than, like, rhythmic gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, uh, don't they have, like, that, like, sport where you bounce on a trampoline? Oh, called trampolining yeah who wants to watch that i would much rather watch competitive eating and you could have different categories like you could have competitive hot dog eating competitive chicken mcnugget eating i like it i I think we need to start a petition you, you know what it almost has to start at the x games because it's still seen as a bit of an extreme sport. That's true. The, and and some of the X Games sports have made it into the Olympics. BMX. BMX. They've yeah. all made it into the Olympics. Yeah. So so competitive eating, the, the national whatever their, their food organization is, get into the X Games. It's still considered an extreme sport. You have, pe- you have competitors from all over the world. It's not like it's just us or whatever no no they're all over the world i mean um you have your hot dog eating contest you have a taco eating contest and you have a buffalo wing and you have a wings eating contest don't you shouldn't you have something uh sweet ice cream um how many pounds of ice cream can you eat oh good god um there you go yeah okay well uh, then we maybe could do like hottest pepper eating yeah hottest pepper that's always good (laughs) so yeah there could be different and these people could train for it i mean their events like 70 80 events a year in different types of competitive eating i think i think uh i think we need to talk All right, to let's the X start games. let's start a petition starting a petition okay so. uh, we're going on to the olympics we are <laughs> yes we're still on competitive eating as you can tell lisa and i like to eat a lot um we just went to a baseball game and you know it was it's like going to a tiny piece of heaven when you go to a baseball game i don't know everything just tastes better there I got to agree with you. For some right? reason, hot dogs at a baseball game taste it's just so much better than like, if I make them in the backyard. And a beer. Beer is so much better than if I, I go to the fridge. Yeah. There's something to it. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. Yeah. I don't know. It's fun. I mean, yeah. like to try the different stuff that they have. Anyway, go ahead. So the Olympics. So I don't know if you heard, but. Two weeks. Two weeks. Japan has basically issued a state of emergency. Uh, yeah, this is for the scary period for the of the Olympics, and spectators are now banned from all events. So they just announced it. Uh, it's basically the games are now going to be a made-for-TV event. Uh, <laughs> there's a there are no fan, no spectators. Um, this is really a big turnaround from a few weeks ago when Olympic organizers said that they really wanted to hold the games as limited spectators. And what's in, what's crazy is that the emergency declar- declaration that Japan issued was really sort of a rude arrival for the IOC president, Thomas Bach, who landed in Tokyo just hours before these new measures were announced. Whoa. <laughs> um, so he's now in his uh, self three days of self-isolation. But, yep, so he just landed and then boom. Uh, so... Yeah, so, I mean, we knew they couldn't have any foreign fans, but now no Japanese fans. So the state of emergency is going into effect Monday and is going to last through August 22nd. Uh, That means the Olympics will be held entirely under emergency measures. 
But the Paralympics open on August 24th. So I guess they're not under the emergency measures, but the Olympics are. That's not fair. Um, Just two weeks ago, organizers in the IOC allowed venues to be filled to 50% capacity, but crowds not to exceed 10,000. So this is a really late turnaround of what they uh, originally had planned. Um, The main focus of the emergency is a request for bars, restaurants, and karaoke parlors (laughs) serving alcohol to close. Uh, They're banning serving alcohol um, because they want to keep people from drinking and partying. They basically are telling people, stay home, watch it on TV. Tokyo reported 896 new cases of COVID on Thursday, up from 673 a week earlier. So I guess their numbers are going up. So even the the opening ceremony, no fans. And it will be at the $1.4 billion National Stadium. Uh, this is really, this is really crazy. Now, even crazier is that because of the, the uptick in infections, uh, the Tokyo city government has pulled the Olympic torch relay off the capital streets. They're allowing it to run only on remote islands off the Tokyo coast. Um, and it's really sort of unclear how, (laughs) how the flame is going to get to the Tokyo stadium to be helicoptered in. Yeah. Wow. This is really going to be bizarre. Like, I feel like I've talked about before going to the Olympics and what a really awesome experience that is as as a fan, as a sports fan. And it it's just really cool to meet people from all different nations. And I think that's what makes the Olympics so awesome is that, you know, even in like times of war, these nations, these athletes are still competing against each other and the fans are still, you know, with each other, like, and around each other. Like, I even went to an India-Pakistan men's field hockey game. And now, there's no, you know, denying the fact that the two countries very much so dislike each other. (laughs) And there were no fights in the stands. I mean, they were cheering for their, their team and their country. And there's something about the Olympics with cheering for your country and your you know, you want your country to succeed and do well. It is, I don't know. It's a shame. It's a shame that there is are no shame. fans. And it's a shame for the athletes because this is, this may be their one shot and they, they work towards this because so many sports that are in the Olympics don't have very high money earnings outside of the not, Olympics. Not this every is their sport, career. Yeah. Not every sport is track and field or basketball or, you know, sports that make money the athletes money you don't right no like handball or water polo or i mean our water polo team's going for what our third third consecutive gold medal i don't know our women's water polo team so it's like you know these are these are really great athletes that deserve to they deserve to compete but they also deserve to compete in front of family and friends you know well then what do you do though i mean the numbers have gone up in you japan can't. there's nothing you can do it's not like you can cancel now it again. really i think the big issue is that uh a lot of uh, the really the olympics are sort of pushing forward because i feel like they're sort of going against medical advice um because it really stalled their flow of income last last year uh you know they get the ioc gets 75 percent of its income from selling broadcast rights and estimates estimates suggest they would lose three billion to four billion if the Olympics were canceled. Yeah, I mean, they're, the the thing is, they'll make up money 
because now there's going to have to be more television coverage, right? More because advertising. More advertising. So they'll, well, and they they'll sell, make up money from that. They sell the broadcast rights. So they'll sell yep. more broadcast rights because right. there'll be more events right. televised. Uh, exactly. I mean, it, it, the whole things they're going to have to have cameras at everything. It's going to have to be like a multi-package deal. You know, maybe, maybe people have to buy it or something from NBC. But that's how they're going to have to make their money because – you know, you'd make money from ticket sales and then you would make money from food and merchandise and things like that. And countries and cities would still be in the red <laughs> after oh, yeah. all of that. So, you know, yeah, to, uh, they're going to take a hit. They're going to take a big hit. But um, Well, not the IOC because they're going to sell the broadcasting Oh, no, rights. the IOC won't, but Tokyo will, the yeah. city. The city will take a hit. So they're saying, the IOC is saying that 80% of residents of the Olympic Village will be vaccinated. Okay. Why aren't they making 100% if they're so worried? Well, that's the athletes, right? Yeah. You can't... F- I don't think you can force an athlete. In the you United States, you can't, but maybe in another country. Right. So. I mean, well, and here's the other thing. You can force athletes to uh, not smoke marijuana like Shikari Richard, which is not improving her performance. Correct. Um, Imagine if she So didn't. you can force her, you know, to force her from not competing because of that but you can't force an athlete to get a vaccine to keep people safe why not say that you need to get the vaccine it's if you want to compete internationally in the olympics it's a good point it's a, it's a good point I, I mean i'd rather see that than a ban on uh marijuana which is so outdated like i i just i just don't get it it's so outdated that the drug policy unfortunately it's still in there but it's outdated well and i mean if you look at the a lot of professional sports leagues like the nfl the nhl mlb they really changed the the rules when it came to marijuana Mm -hmm. use and it's not like back in the day when ricky williams of the dolphins would get tested all the time for marijuana and he'd be fined he'd be banned from games like it's different now um so that's what i'm saying if you're going to require that she you know Oh, she tested positive for marijuana. It's not a performance-enhancing drug. It's actually, like, hurting her performance. It slows your system. So she can't compete. But someone who did not get the COVID vaccine can compete? It's valid. It's a valid argument. I agree that you're going to ban somebody and tell them that they're banned for 30 days or they're off the track team because they smoked pot a few weeks before the U.S. trials you know, still have that stupid rule, but not require that everyone get a vaccine. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it's valid. So it's 11,000 Olympians. 20% of them are not vaccinated. That means that 20% could all spread COVID amongst themselves. And because I'm really bad at math, what's 20% of 11,000? 2,200. So that means you you possibly could have 2,200 people all infecting each other from different countries, and then they're all going to go home to those different countries because you're not requiring a vaccine. Why not offer, you know, offer the vaccine like a month ago, two months ago, three months ago to these athletes? Well, I think think there might be some U.S. athletes that aren't vaccinated. I think it was strongly encouraged, but they can't require it. Well, the IOC can. The U.S. can't. But the IOC can. Yeah. That's true. Here's the thing. Shikari Richardson, she tested positive for marijuana 
in was it Oregon mm-hmm. where, where recreational marijuana is legal. So it didn't go by state law. It went by IOC law. It went by it went by US, U.S. track and field. Oh, law. I'm sorry, U.S. track and field, which has to adhere to IOC. Yep. So I don't know. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> No, it's true. I, I agree with you. I, you know, it's something I haven't thought about it before. But yeah, there's no like requirement. They can't require it, but they're offering it. Well, the IOC can. No, I don't know that they can. They're not. It's not like they're a government. They're an international organization. And in the United States, yes, we have rights that protect us. And we have the choice to get it or not. The IOC... They're not a country. They're an international organization. And if they can require you to not smoke marijuana, then they can require you to get a vaccine Mm -hmm. for public safety. I mean, they don't. But yes, you're correct. (laughs) I mean, that's all I'm saying. I'm just comparing it to the other big Olympic issue, which is Shikari Richardson. Here are the drugs that are banned and you're required not to use them. But we're not going to require you to stop the probability of spread of a disease that could kill someone. Well, because you have these athletes from different parts of the world yeah, that are no, then I, yeah. could become positive for COVID and bring it back to their, to their it's countries. True. No, I didn't think of that. That's true. So Shakari Richardson, let's talk about Well, her. it's now official. She's not going to Tokyo for the 2021 Summer Olympics. Uh, everybody thought she would be on the relay. Uh, yeah. But her name was left, left off, off the roster. Um, you know, her 30-day suspension would have ended before the start of the relay on August 5th, which means she could have competed, but they left her name off the roster. That, that's really, it's a shame. I, You know, I get it. For the 100-meter, fine. She doesn't run. She gets a 30-day suspension. She doesn't run. The 4 by 100 that, that really sucks. That really does suck. Like, just bring her back for that. I I don't get that. But I mean, you know, the thing that I admire the most about this entire thing is how she handled this after this came out. And it was like, look, you know, this you're going to be suspended. You're it's what you did at the trials are void. I mean, and that could be why they're saying she isn't going to get on the four by one hundred because she failed it within that thirty days and. Can you imagine how fast she would have been if she didn't smoke marijuana? She didn't say that she (laughs) smoked it right before the race. She didn't say that. But, you know, the fact that she owned up to it and she was like, yeah, I did it. I knew what I was doing. Well, and uh, I'm just reading this. It's a statement from the United States Track and Field Association. They said they're incredibly sympathetic towards Shakari Richardson's extenuating circumstances and fully agree that international rules regarding marijuana should be reevaluated. Yeah. What, what are you gonna yeah but what are you gonna do i mean the rules are the rules she knew what she was doing she knew what she was doing was wrong she took ownership of it which i think so many athletes and so many people in general could just learn from she owned up to it she's like i knew and i still chose to do it i knew that i could potentially fail a drug test i knew that marijuana was was going to be tested you know when i when i got tested after the runs i knew all of this and i still did it so she owned it like and to me that speaks volumes for her character like she owned it 
And if you, you mean you look at her extenuating circumstances, uh, during the trial, she was told by a reporter that her, her biological mother had died. And the news of that really caused her so much pain that she said, despite knowing the rules about marijuana, she used it to cope with the loss. And she's quoted as saying, people don't understand what it's like to have to go in front of the world and put on a face and hide my pain. Who am I to tell you how to cope when you're dealing with the pain or you're dealing with a struggle you haven't experienced before or you thought you would never have to deal with? I I mean, she was told by a reporter at the trials that her biological mother had died. I think I I would have done more than marijuana. How many people (laughs) would have, like, had a bottle of wine or or whatever? But that wouldn't have tested, wouldn't have disqualified her. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, good for her. She's saying, you know, this is just one Olympic Games. I'm 21. I'm really young. You know, I've got plenty of talent. I've got plenty of time to compete. Uh, she's like, I don't use steroids. I don't do anything. This this was just about marijuana. So after this ban is done, she's like, I'm going to be back competing. Yep. And she will with it. We, you know, she will for sure. So... Yep. Uh, and looking at the rules, it was shortly after the 2012 Olympics, international regulators loosened restrictions on marijuana use, increasing the threshold for a positive test to a level designed to catch athletes who were using it in the immediate hours before competing. Potential bans were reduced from two years to as little as the 30-day suspension that Richardson is serving. Wow. So they people were banned for two years. Yeah. So... A lot of the professional leagues, like I said before, um, they've really sort of dropped the enforcement of marijuana um, because they re- they acknowledge it doesn't enhance performance. But unfortunately, the Olympic world still tests and punishes for use. So, and their reason is that the banned list of drugs can some of can compose health risks to athletes or violate the spirit of sport. So that's their reasoning for the marijuana ban, that it can jeopardize the health of an athlete and violate the spirit of sport, whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, I am all for being like the role model thing. Like, I don't I don't know. What do you think? What What do you think that means? The spirit of sport? Like if you smoke pot. Well, like lots of other athletes, professional and otherwise, have not, you know. They, uh, they, all of them have probably done something. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel, I really feel it was ex- the extenuating circumstances. I agree. But then I think, um, I, you know, these are the rules. She didn't follow the rules. Now she's facing the consequences. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the rules are a little they're bit. They're outdated. They're outdated. Yep. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, it's like, you know, any of the drug policies they're always a step behind and they're never probably reevaluated. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's always like, oh, we just add, we just add, we just add, we just add. It's not like there's ever anything taken off. Like did it go from here are 60 drugs that we're going to test for in 1998 to now it's 175 drugs that we're testing for in 2010 or 2020, but we're, we didn't remove any of those from 1998. Well, I look at it, I mean, I, I look at it this way too. You're, you're, for drugs that can harm the health of an athlete or violate the spirit of the sport. Well, what, let's say you have an athlete that smokes cigarettes. 
that's nicotine. That's going to hurt their health. Who wants to see an athlete smoking? You don't want them to, you don't want kids seeing an athlete smoking a cigarette. So wouldn't that count or drinking alcohol? Right. That's going to hurt your health. Um, That violates the spirit of sport because you don't want kids seeing an athlete drinking a beer or Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. But they're not, I mean, they're not tested for. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. I, I, I just, this just really bothers me because I see this amazing young woman who is incredibly talented and because of one mistake, because she heard that her biological mother had died from a reporter. And we all know what it's like to go through grief and how your mind's not in the right spot and Ever. you're not thinking. So she probably wasn't thinking when she smoked marijuana to make herself feel better, not even thinking about the fact that she had to test. This is not somebody who is a total pothead who just does it for fun. I just, I don't know. This one just bothers me. And I'm usually a stickler for the rules, but this one for some reason bothers me. I I think it's because it's so outdated and I think it's because with other sports drug this type of drug use is sort of not pushed under the rug but it's just not as strict like it's her first offense like so many of these policies now are it's your first offense don't do it again here's a slap on the hand okay here's your second offense all right you know like we told you to stop all right we're gonna we'll, we'll suspend you for a game like like just just be smart about it be smarter about it you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like you, they have like tiers of offenses. And I feel like with the Olympics and I get it for some drugs, I 100% get it for performance enhancing drugs, for anything that gives you an advantage over your, your competitors. This is not a drug that gives you an advantage over your other competitors. Like it might just relax you. It but slows you down. It's not going to cause the those the the muscles to act the the muscle twitch to be faster. Like and that's what you need in sprinting. Like like it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like was it put on there because Olympic athletes are role models? Like I can't Well, that think, could be spirit of the sport. And I think that's what that means is that Olympic athletes are role models. Okay, look marijuana is everywhere i feel like now it's even in states where it's not legal it's all over the place if you agree or disagree on it that is the reality that we live in it's not technically a performance enhancing drug so what the heck well they say it's a drug it's a substance that can hurt the health of an athlete and violates the spirit of the sport and that's but they don't test for alcohol as you said and I, they don't test for nicotine. No. So explain to me. And let's face it, <laughs> caffeine could be in that as well. You know, good point. Caffeine could be. So, um, yeah, IOC, all these other organizations that do all of these, you know, drug testing of athletes. Um, let's get your shit together. And let's be a little realistic and consistent about it. Because I, I think this is shitty. I feel bad for her she's 21 we have three years to the next summer olympics i mean what's nice though is the amazing outpouring of support she got the support's unbelievable all sorts of athletes and people so 
that was pretty cool. And and like I said before, let's not overlook the fact that she owned it. Like mm-hmm. I and was that and honestly, I was volumes. really looking forward to watching her run. Me too. Me too. Gabby Thomas. Excited about Gabby Thomas. Yeah, I- I'm Gabby excited Thomas. about the whole team. Allison yeah. Felix in her like 392nd Olympics. I feel like. What was her first one? Nine, uh, this is her fifth Olympics. Her fifth Olympics. Her yeah. Fifth Olympics. Wow. So I have one more Olympic thing. I, I could talk about the Olympics forever, which we're going to do when the Olympics yeah, start. Yeah, let's save some for when they start. I'm excited so about this that. Is just, this is just something kind of fun. So a uh, uh, right-handed pitcher, Jake Reed. Yeah. Uh, he was just called up by the Los Angeles Dodgers okay. on Tuesday to make his major league debut. Okay. Uh, as his wife, Janie Reed, is preparing to play outfield for the U.S. softball team in the Olympics. So look at that. Yep. So he was, uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And Eva thinks it's awesome too. Yes, she does. So yeah. What else? Uh, you have anything else on well, the Olympics? Just I just back know I'm to excited. Jake, Jake Reed and Janie Reed. Yeah. Um, so, uh, he's a side arming reliever. Uh, he allowed two hits, struck out one and walked one. So there you go. Nice. And his wife is an outfielder for the U S softball team. Janie Reed. I so, like it. Oh, that was kind of cool. I like it. So that's good. What do you want to talk about next? Uh, what should we hit on? Should we, we switch got, over to the Stanley Cup champions who yes. I so wonderfully predicted yes. in October yes. that Tampa Bay would repeat and they got to do it in front of their fans and it was awesome. However, I will make this bold statement. Tampa Bay will not in any way come close to a three-peat. Totally agree with that. Because the salary cap are- ceiling is not increasing, and the GM of the Lightning is going to have a lot of challenges this summer uh, to try and create a team that's cap compliant. There's going to be a lot of regular faces who are going to be exiting the Tampa Bay organization. Oh, yeah. So absolutely, they will not three-peat. I'll tell you what. I want Blake Coleman back on uh, the Devils. I was sad when he left. I always liked Blake. Yeah. Yeah. So what did we think of the series? Um, Boring. Yeah, it was pretty boring. We had a watch party on Friday night, and it was kind of a boring game. Montreal was no match for Tampa Bay. No. No. And and honestly, I mean, I'm surprised that they got there only because I thought they were really good in February. And then they sort of petered out a little bit in March, April, and then they came back in the playoffs and really surprised everyone in the playoffs. But, I mean, was it the two best teams? I still think Boston was a super good team that probably should have been there. They just, I don't know, they lost their fire. I'm not sure what happened to them in the playoffs. But Tampa Bay looked solid and strong the entire time. The Islanders, right, was the Islanders where they had the tough series mm-hmm. uh, against them? Uh, that was a really tight series. But um, and well, I was a little concerned they might kind of well, falter a little. Much deserved the Conn Smythe Trophy as playoff MVP is Andre Vasilevsky, the goalie for Tampa Bay. Oh, much, much deserved. Yes. Uh, you know, he they won the game to win the Stanley Cup with his fifth shutout of the postseason. He became so. Here's an interesting bit of goalie trivia for you. Okay. Okay. So Vasilevsky became the sixth goalie in NHL history and second Lightning goalie to record five shutouts or more during a single postseason. Wow. Do you want to take any guesses on some of the other? Marty Brodeur's got to be up there. Yep, Marty Brodeur seven in two thousand and three. Wow. Dominic Hasek six in two thousand and two. Uh, Nikolai. 
Kababulin, five in 2004. He's the other Tampa Bay goalie. Okay. Uh, Mika Kaprusov, five in 2004. Jean-Sebastien Giguere, five in 2003. And there you have it. But the all-time record, Marty Brodeur, seven in 2003. That's why that. he's the GOAT when it comes to goalies. He is. I, I agree. So there you have it. It really was, I mean, in my opinion, it was a, a goalie duel. I mean, you had Carey Price, who's playing at the top of his game, versus Vasilevsky, who could quite arguably be the best goalie in hockey. Mm-hmm. So, so do, do we want a little uh, Stanley Cup uh, history about the Cup? Did you know that? Well, I have one other little piece. Oh, let's go about the cup. Go, so, go, go. Pat Maroon, this is his third straight Stanley Cup. St. Louis, Tampa, Tampa, Tampa. Bay, Tampa wow. Bay. Wow, look at that. And the poor guy was stuck on the Devils before that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go. All right, so did you know that the Stanley Cup, the, the rings are detachable on it, the top? Like they've got the base, right? Mm-hmm. Then they've got the rings, so they're detached. So when their rings become full, the oldest band is removed and preserved at the Hockey Hall of Fame. Which we've been to. And then the blank replacement band is then placed to be filled with the wow. next Wow, you know, I always wondered how they got all the names. Yep. Okay, no so that's No championship it. team names from the 1920 to 29 to the 1953 to 54 season are currently on the cup. Why is that? Because they're in the vault because it's oh, too big. Oh, I gotcha. Yes, yes. I always wondered about that. Yes. Um, the NHL has official engravers um, that put the name on the cup. I know that there are some like spelling errors which I, I think is funny but there have been four official engravers sanctioned by the nfl the first was in 1948 a danish engraver um who moved to montreal in 1929 and worked with his son arno and ollie and jean paul in his engraving shop they did it until 1977 the current engraver is louise saint jacques creator of the replica of the presentation cup who took over from the second and third official engravers doug boofy and his father eric at their shop in montreal what is it about french canadians i know so it's it's really like very very old school because they they sort of lay out the letters and hammer them in and it strikes the letter into the cup which is like old school printing press stuff like Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty cool so it takes 10 hours to complete every name for the winning team 10 hours wow and that's they, they do it like each name takes about a half an hour and they might take a little break in between to line it up or whatever. But yeah, it takes 10 hours to do the entire team. So let's see. The Islanders, yes. The, the name of the Islanders in 1980-81 is misspelled to the Island, Islander, not I-I-S-L-I-L-A-N-D-E-R-S. <laughs> <laughs> and in 71-72, Boston Bruins named is misspelled B-Q-S-T-Q-N. Oh, God. And, yeah, yeah. Most of the errors are left on because obviously it would be really, really expensive to redo yeah, them all. Yeah, how are you going to redo that? And honestly, let's be honest, I think the errors kind of add to the charm of the cup. They have made some corrections, uh, when ni- uh, 1996 champion Colorado Avalanche, Adam Deadmarsh's name was spelled Deadmarch. <laughs> so that was stamped out and corrected. Um, so, yeah, like that one. Well, what a bummer. Could you imagine you just won the Stanley Cup and your name's misspelled yeah, I know. on the cup? Like, what a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't allow more than 52 names from each year's winning team to be engraved. Um, so that's the players and people affiliated with the club and stuff like that. Um, there are some that 
go a little bit further. Um, the Edmonton Oilers in 83-84, when they won the Stanley Cup, the owner put on his father's name. <laughs> he put his father's name on. Um, and then actually when they found out, the league had the engraver strike out the name with a series wow. of X's on it. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was that was really, really interesting. So if we ever see the cup, we have to look for the 83-84 Oilers. Yeah. Um, let's see what else uh, I can. Let's see. There are a couple of instances where no names are inscribed at all. Like the cup wasn't awarded in 1919 because of the Spanish flu. Wasn't awarded in 2004, 2005 because of the lockout. Um, and the entire space. So they each get like a block. It's season not played. So it's not like they, you know, just skip over it. They literally put season not played. Um, multiple appearances. Henry Richard, brother of Montreal Canadian legend who, he Maurice was Richard. part of my Joey Chestnut yep, piece. Yep, and a hockey great in his own right. is on the cup 11 times as a yes. player. Scotty Bowman appears on the cup the most as a coach with nine. And the 24 victories that the runner-up this year Canadians have are the most on the Stanley Cup, the most team on the Stanley Cup. They also hold the record for most consecu- consecutive cup wins with five from 56 to 6,000. 6,000, 1960. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> One fan actually tried to steal the cup. So they were so, they were, the Montreal fans are so adamant about the cup that during the 62 playoffs when the cup was on display at Chicago Stadium for defending champion uh, Chicago Blackhawks, the f- a fan named Ken Killinder attempted to take the cup and walk right out of the door with it. When a police officer caught him and questioned him, his response was, I want to take it back where it belongs to Montreal. And I'm sure uh, Mr. Killander was also aided by his friends, Jack Daniels and Mr. Bud Weiser. Oh, yes. Very much. <laughs> very much so. Um, the, as we know, the cup has a chaperone. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if everybody knows that, but the cup has a chaperone. His name is Philip Picard. And you can follow him on Twitter at Keeper of the Cup. <laughs> <laughs> and he posts pictures and, you know, he, he's really, it, it's really fun. I mean, I, I always, um, it, you know, it's a different person, but he's been the keeper of the cup for a, a while, I think like 20 years or so. Um, but yeah, it's a fun Twitter handle to follow because like he'll take pictures of it in like random places. Like the cup is in a cornfield, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, it's, it's actually really, really funny. And as we all may or may not know, the cup on the winning team, each player, gets the cup for one day and that actually started with the 94 95 new jersey devils they formalized the tradition by giving the cup to a player um, they had it for one day so it and it's traveled all over the world mm-hmm. you know it's been all over the place There's and been all sorts lots of lots of babies put in it a lot of babies a lot a, a lot, lot of babies. beer being uh, drunk out of it yep yep a lot of, a lot, yes. Yep. Two babies have actually officially been baptized oh. in the cup. Oh, baptized. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I probably would. If I won the stand, I would baptize my baby. Yeah, totally. So the Colorado Avalanche won in 95-96. Sylvian Lafabrieve, that was totally not right. He used his day to have his daughter christened in the bowl. Nice. 11 years later, the Detroit Red Wings won in 2007-2008. 
Swedish left-winger Thomas Holstrom brought the silverware back to his native country so that his cousin could baptize his seven-week-old daughter in the trophy, which I think is great. Um, some say that it may have a curse. There's a curse. Well, I mean, anything old has a curse. Let's face it. When Messier and the Rangers won in 94, it was a 54-year championship drought for the for the Rangers. <laughs> and they're back in another one. <laughs> Fan believes that the curse might have been brought on because the Rangers disrespected the Cup. In 1939 and 1940, the mortgage on the Rangers' home rank was finally paid off. To celebrate, the management of the team symbolically burned the mortgage documents in the bowl of the Stanley Cup. And then apparently somebody urinated in it. So, yeah, it's, yeah, that just goes to show what kind of people the Rangers are. Um, <laughs> it did go to Afghanistan. It did, it was, it did go to Afghanistan. One of the players, um, I cannot remember who, but um, took it over to Afghanistan um, for a meet and, meet and greet with all the, the troops and cool. stuff, which I thought was, was pretty cool. Um, I also know it was dropped at one point, that's why it's a dent in it. And well, did you never see uh, the Stanley Cup? They tweeted to Tom Brady. Uh, remember when he drunkenly tossed the Super Bowl trophy from yes. one boat to the other? They they tweeted at him saying, I think this trophy's too heavy to toss. And uh, <laughs> he wrote back, uh, he's like, it's amazing what tequila and something else can do for that. Like <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, because the Super Bowl trophy's a lot smaller. Yes. Yes, definitely. And so, they make, don't they make a new one for every Super Bowl? Like, yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is, don't, yeah. yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. That so that's your, that. that's your Stanley Cup uh, little bit of fast fact and history there. That was. Uh, Do we want to talk about the Yankees? Let's talk about the Yankees. I I am very anxious to hear about your list, and I think maybe we'll end the show here. Um, I mean, because we I did have a little bit on some other stuff, but whatever. We can pick <laughs> that up next week. But I'm very interested to hear your list of what's wrong with the Yankees, also known as why the Yankees suck. Please so, go ahead. It's called What's Up with the Yankees. <laughs> I mean, it's like a TV show. Is it? Oh, it could be. Go ahead. So last year you had the excuse of the schedule being shortened. Uh, You don't have that excuse this year. Uh, Each team is playing a regular 162 game schedule. Uh, That includes the Yankees who came into this year looking to win their first world championship since 2009. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a long drought for a New York team that has 27 World Series titles. It's not their longest, is it? I don't know. I don't think it is. No. But that's a long time. The 80s. We didn't win all in the 80s. So uh, <laughs> right now, I think the Yankees are barely hovering around the 500 mark. Um, and people are kind of asking, including me, why are they underachieving so badly, especially when they have one of baseball's highest payrolls and they had such high expectations coming into this season? I think they were up there as one of the favorites to win the World Series this year. They were the odds number two. It was the Dodgers to repeat, and then it was the Yankees at the beginning of the season. And I remember I laughed. You did laugh. I was like, what are they smoking? Like, we have no pitching staff. You know, Chapman is not is not the closer everybody thinks he is at all. I mean, don't get me wrong. Just like 
Devils fans are always going to be like, oh, this goalie sucks. Well, we watched Marty Brodeur for how many years? Yankees fans, his closer sucks. We watched Mariano Rivera for how many years? He's like the best closer ever. So I get it. But Chapman is not. Well, he's my number one bullet point. Ah, see? A shaky closer. He sucks. When the Met, when the Yankees took the field for their three-game series against the crosstown rival Mets, uh, it Do was I have to relive this. <laughs> uh, it, it was very annoying. Quite a crushing of egos. Uh, the Yanks lost the first game Friday night. Weather washed out the second game on Saturday. Uh, the team had a commanding lead in the first game of Sunday's doubleheader, header, but it fell apart when their all-star closer. Araldis Chapman couldn't record a single out. The Mets ended up clobbering Chapman and won the game by a score of 10 to 5. The Yankees serenaded their team with booze as they left the clubhouse. Um, the Yankees did manage to beat the Mets in the second half of the doubleheader, um, but to get a one game above 500, but that's not where they should be or were expected to be. I mean, can we just say that Chapman's ERA is 4.55 this year? Mm-hmm. As a closer. <laughs> so that, that's all I'm saying. One maybe In baseball, two the closer position is matters a great deal. Last seven games, 16.88. Go ahead. And this Sorry. guy isn't even close to your retired Hall of Famer closer, Mariano Rivera. Uh, now, it's true that Chapman helped the Cubs win a World Series in 2016, but this version of Chapman gives up home runs, walks batters, and very seldom records drama-free saves. So after getting drubbed by the Mets over the weekend, his ERA is well over four. Um, that's really bad. How, uh, is he, how is he an all-star this year? Are there no other closers in the American League? He's an all-star. Yeah, so the Sorry, Yankees, go ahead. The Yankees like front so office stuck on this. Go the ahead. Yankees front office must feel pretty bad because they're really overpaying him um, to bring him back from Chicago. They gave him a pretty big paycheck. Oh, yes. So So yeah, that's my number 1 bullet point. All right, number 2. Uh wait, wait, let me guess. Well, what else is wrong? The rest of the Yankees now apart from Chapman, I think the rest of your bullpen's been pretty good. Yeah, they've been pretty solid. Um so then what else is wrong? Uh, I got a point to a lack of offense. You Which, mean you mean the the let's um, either hit it out of the park, pop it straight up, or strike out offense. Yes. But I mean, look at look who your team has. They have Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres, Luke Voigt, Gary Sanchez. Of those names, only one player is having a good year, and that's Aaron Judge. Uh, he's going to be at the All Star again. Uh, you know, are the Yanks, I think he's coming up for contract. Will the oh, Yanks yes. keep him or let him go to another team? That's another question. Uh, Stanton oh has got... Don't even get me started on that. Stanton's got big holes in his swing. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to duplicate that MVP season he had with the Marlins. Uh, DJ LeMahieu is not hitting for average or power like he has in the past. Uh, Luke Voigt has been on the injured list for much of the season. Gary Sanchez... He's performing better than he did last year, but he's still not having a great season. Uh, My favorite comment that I've been hearing on the Yes Network, you Yes Network people, is uh, Gary Sanchez is winning the fans back. I want to know what fans they're looking at and who they're talking to 
because it sure as hell are not fans like real Yankee fans. Like maybe it's bandwagoner fans. Oh, you had a home run. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of those. We do. That's my issue. But yes, go ahead. So there is a power outage up and down that lineup. Um, you know, this is not murderer's row we're looking at. <laughs> oh, God, no. Mediocre pitchers don't fear the Yankees right now, despite the players on their rafter, roster, and top pitchers are mowing them down and embarrassing them. Now, a lot of Yankees fans are speculating that the hitting coach could be the problem. The current hitting coach is Marcus Thames, and when he was a player, his all-time batting average was only 246. I remember when they hired him, I was like, really? That's like, I don't know. I would rather have Tim Raines. Tim Raines than Marcus Thames. I mean, that's pretty bad. And this is the guy that's yeah, going to tell uh, Stanton or any of the other struggling players on how to correct their Chili their, Davis their is swing. out there. They should get him. <laughs> I want Chili Davis. I love Chili Davis. I, did, I don't know. When he left, when the Mets fired him, the Mets started hitting. So I don't know. I'd still take him. Uh, so, okay. So I said shaky closer, power outage. Um, my last... Second to last thing is I think the formula to the Yankees win well the Yankees winning formula needs to change. So they have this formula that they use basically to in order to win and it involves the home run. So if the home run is if the home run numbers are down as they are this year, the Yankees don't know how to change their play or adjust to play small ball. All they know how to do is to hit a home run. They don't have the speed on the base paths. Um, they, you know, you look at some of the guys they have, like Luke Voigt, Aaron Judge, they can't steal bases. So the Yankees, their winning formula is a home run, is to hit a home run. When those numbers are down, they don't know how to adjust or they can't adjust to play small ball. Mm-hmm. That's my third piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. My final piece is, when you look at a baseball team that's playing well, like look at the Mets, look at the Padres, what do you see? They're smiling, they're having fun, they're celebrating. The Yankees, I feel like, are the opposite. Mm-hmm. To me, they're playing, they seldom smile, they're playing tight. Um, and of course, you're going to have that when you're striking out, your fans are booing you. Um, so I think they need to loosen up. That's my final piece. Um. Yeah, I every single point that you said is I th- feel like what I've talked about um throughout this year and my concern going in. I mean, I, I will always go back to the 2009 game that we saw when they played the A's the end of August and the final score was 4 to 3 and they got four runs on four solo home runs. Mhm where the A's got their three runs by, I think, a home run and, like, batting players in. And even the other night when we were watching the, the Mets and Yankees game, I think the, I think it was, what, six, five to nothing, and Aaron Judge gets up and hits a home run and he's celebrating like he won the game? Oh, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. the problem. Like, okay, great, you hit a home run. There it's was now nobody, 6-1. <laughs> it's, there's nobody on base. Um, and you're going to go in there and celebrate like you're some sort of hot shit because you hit a home run when your team's down by by now by five runs instead of six. Like I just don't I, I don't know it. Well, a truly a great team, if they rely on home runs to win and if they're not getting home runs, then they would adjust their game to play small ball. But the Yankees don't seem to do that. They continue to try and hit home runs. Yeah. 
I think that's what's changed the Mets. You know, the only one that I feel is still trying to really hit it over the fence sometimes is, is Mr. Alonzo. Well, leave Pete out of this. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm going to bring Pete into it. Because I do feel like that he, ha- he has shown he has the capability of hitting, hitting, for, hitting the correct position. Basically playing position ball. Like, hey, you know what? There's a runner on first. I need to take this outside pitch and put it to right field. He's shown he can do that, but he doesn't do it all the time. The Yankees have never shown that they can do that. I don't think they know how. I don't think they know how to go with an outside pitch. DJ LeMayu is the only one. And he's not hitting. And he's not really hitting. Like, they can't rely solely on him. No. And and they have one left-handed bat. That's why I think they need to get Dominic Smith. Mets aren't giving him up. I don't see why they wouldn't. They could I get some good stuff for him. Another issue with the Yankees is that in this past offseason, the only thing they did was sign, re-sign Brett Gardner. Yeah. Like, really? It doesn't he's make any sense. 38 years old. I mean, I love Brett Gardner, but he's 38 years old. That's really the only thing they did. He's playing more than I think he should. Yeah. <laughs> but he's their only left-handed I know. bat. I know. It's really, it's really been poor management, and I think the crappiest thing is when your general manager who if one of these podcasts will have to talk about him, your general manager basically sits in a meeting and goes, it's not a management problem. It's a player problem. Mm, kind of disagree with that because if your manager isn't your leader, the players aren't going to play for well, you. Let's take, for example, the Mets. The Mets rema- managed to stay in first place in the NL East despite having three quarters of their team on the IL and playing minor league guys and scrubs. And they still kept winning. So that's a manager thing. That's Rojas. Whatever he did worked, and the team kept winning. But then when you have a team who is failing so miserably like the Yankees, then you're saying it's not a manager issue? I I disagree with that. I mean, I agree with you that it is a manager issue. You have all of this talent, and you can't produce. You're barely at 500. Like. I think I could go in there and manage this team better than Aaron Boone. I mean, at least I would get kicked out of some games. Not Maybe not in Billy Martin style, but I would absolutely... The way that these umpires have been calling the strike zone this year, I would totally be kicked out of games. There's there's no way. And I would put everything into the team. I feel like Aaron Boone is just like kind of there. But, you know, look, this experiment of let's hire someone who has no coaching experience but is a semi-decent analyst obviously did not work. So let's get somebody who's out there that actually would like to coach, like, I don't know, maybe you're a AAA or AA level, move them up, let them be the manager, and let's see if they can at least turn it around the second half of the season. I mean, the thing is, they're above Boston. I'm sorry, above Baltimore, who yeah. is the crappiest team in baseball. Right? Right now? I think yeah. they're, they're yep. the crappiest team. So It's them or the Diamondbacks. It's like, what the hell do you have to lose? Like, there's a, there's a possibility. They're nine games out of first, which is not bad when you look at the fact that they're not 44 impossible. and 42, and they're in fourth place. I was very impressed with Boston. I feel like they're starting to cool down. Tampa Bay is a team I think we need to look out for. Toronto, as I said earlier, is a team you definitely need to look out for. I think they're going to do well in the second half. But I feel like the Yankees could make a move. But they don't have the right leadership to do so. No, I agree. I agree. But I think leadership as coach and GM. I agree with that. 
I agree. I mean, I, I think the GM is the issue. The other issue is is that it ends up that, um, you know, you've got, I think it's still an organization where they, they want people to say yes. And I think that needs to change. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, all of these points that I brought up, you know, shaky closer, power out, I'm shaky closer, that has to do with management. That you spent all this money to bring him back from Chicago. Stupid. I was so mad. Uh, the the power outage, the fact that there's that nobody is hitting. There's no excuse for that. That's coaching. Yep. Do you blame the hitting coach, uh, Marcus Thames? I mean, yeah. The He's high, one, but there's other coaches. You need you need your, your head coach to inspire, to motivate. I don't mm-hmm. think Boone does that. Um, and you hired a batting coach who his lifetime average was 246 <laughs> and and do you want to know i think he had one home run every 15 at bats yeah so clearly all of these the only thing these players are going to do is want to hit a home run because that's what they're being taught and i think that's also coaching when your winning formula involves the home run and when you can't hit a home run you don't know what to do that's yeah, coaching. That's coaching. A, co- a good coach will say, all right, we need to adjust how we play. If we can't hit home runs, let's try and play small ball. And yeah, they don't have a lot of speedy guys on the Yankees, but still, you can still play small ball. Uh, so that's coaching. And then what I was saying where the Yankees just don't seem like they're loose, they're playing tight, that's also coaching. Mm-hmm. So... I think the the I think a new coach would do them wonders, but it's got to be the right. But then, coach. but look at look at who the Yankees hire as coaches. I know yes, it's going to be a Rod. A Rod's going to be the next person they hire. I got to agree. Analyst with you there. who has never coached. Or at least he's a better analyst. Carlos than Beltran. <laughs> he was supposed to be the Mets coach. Won't be. I don't think it'll be Beltran. No, I know. I'm being funny. Although uh, you never know. Donnie Baseball just signed to coach the um the Marlins through 2022. I don't know if I would have wanted him as their coach. Honestly, for what he's got in Miami, he's done a pretty good job considering. I I think he likes also that he's kind of in Miami. Miami is where, you know, old Yankees go to die. But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's always, uh, you know, Don Mattingly. I don't know if they could rip him away from there. I I mean, in my opinion, I think at this point, why not hire a younger coach? Some new blood. I mean, so Doug Davis is the AAA is the AAA manager at um, for the Yankees at Scranton Wilkes Bear? So maybe maybe this is the problem. He <laughs> appeared in seven games over two seasons as a catcher and a third baseman for the Angels and the Rangers. Well, I mean, a lot of good coaches though weren't amazing players. I'm not saying they should be amazing, but he played in seven games major at the major league level. I mean, it's possible. It's possible that, you know, I guess, but maybe that's the problem. They don't have any trust in it. It's not. I'm not saying you have to get like a former player of, that, Who's of the, the Yankees. Uh, um, uh, double A coach in Somerset for the uh, Yankees. Maybe you try and grab a an assistant coach from a team that seems to have a winning formula. Like, grab an assistant from the Red Sox, from the Dodgers, from the Padres. Like, grab one of those guys. Well, 
I don't know. I, I just... Do we think Aaron Boone keeps his job after the All-Star break? I thought he would have been gone for now, but I know that they don't have the balls to do it. Julio Mascaro. Panamanian? Yes, thank you. Professional baseball player and coach. He played Major League Baseball as a catcher from the Blue Jays from 96 to 97 and Brewers in 2005. His overall batting average was 226, and he had two runs batted in. (laughs) look it's possible it's possible that people like this could be a good coach i mean joe torrey didn't really have but joe torrey at least was a journeyman like he played for a while all right i get what you're saying Do you know what i mean like i i just think i just think to coach at this level you need to have somebody who's had some experience in that field like you don't hire you don't hire a product manager who worked for five days on one product and then give them a huge salary bump and all this responsibility when they haven't really learned the skills needed to do their job. I think it's just a different animal. Like I, I think major league baseball is different. You have all these different personalities. I even think minor league, you probably have little bit more respect it might be easier to get their respect but major league is not it's like it's the same thing as why so many amazing college basketball coaches don't go into the nba because it's just a different level do they have the skills yes but it's that there's that piece of respect and i I just i don't know i don't see it i I don't know what the problem is but they need to freaking do something because i'm getting a little tired of this Aren't so. 27 World Series titles enough? No. <laughs> no, they're not. All I know is it's a good, it's been a good season for me. My Mets are doing awesome, so. They are doing well. Yep. They definitely are. Like here, Joe Torre played for 17 years. 297 batting average, 2,342 hits, 252 home runs, 1,185 runs batted in. Now, Aaron Boone has that, but he has no personality. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he has no personality. I mean, and that's going to wrap it up, I think, for today. I mean, <laughs> your previous coach isn't doing very well in Philly, Joe Girardi. Oh, I'm not surprised. I didn't think that was a good move either. No, I know. And immediately, some of my Phillies fans texted me and were like, oh, what do you think of Girardi with the Phillies? I'm like, have fun. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like our coach. I like yep. Luis He's Rojas. I like good. him. So, well, that, I think that wraps it up for today. That wraps I think it up. We are, we've gone on way long enough for sure. Yep. A few tangents, starting out with some wonderful competitive eating and finishing with why the Yankees suck. We didn't get to talk about uh, the Euro Cup championship tomorrow. Italy versus England. My Italy versus Jen's England. It's going to be fish and chips and spaghetti. I'm sorry, Sunday, not tomorrow. Sunday. Yes, fish and chips and spaghetti. Yeah. Kind of looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> red wine and english beer oh yeah there you go that sounds really scary actually but yeah. uh, we thank you all for listening and uh please do check us out and um have a wonderful week check us out on social media that's where i was trying to go timeoutwithjenlisa.com is our website we really enjoy any feedback you have or ideas for topics and everyone have a fantastic week bye-bye bye 
Thanks for listening to Time Out with Jen and Lisa. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anchor.fm slash timeoutjl, and also on Spotify.